Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, and this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. Today, I'm here with Mezzo. Yeah. <laughs> originally born in London or yeah. like in, in the city? Yep. In oh wow. North London. And are your parents originally from there as well? Um, no, they're both, uh, well my mom's American and my dad's originally from Israel. Oh, oh wow. So they went to the UK for? Um, well, I think it was because my mom got a job in London. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What, what do your parents do? Uh, my mom's a violinist. Now she teaches music, mm -hmm. mostly. And my dad's an artist. Oh, wow. So just a super artist yeah. like upbringing. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't really have any chance <laughs> to do anything else. And did your mom teach you violin growing up then? Yeah. Well, that's like the first instrument that she tried to teach me. And I didn't like it because it used to hurt my hands. Oh. So I started on guitar shortly after. Yeah, your dad gave you a guitar when you were like, what, eight or something? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Was that much easier for you? Yeah. Yeah, so now guitar is pretty much my primary instrument. Mm -hmm. And did you take guitar lessons and everything? I did, yeah. Oh, wow. And you were also in some bands, right, when you were like 11, jazz mm -hmm. bands? Yeah, like a f few bands, just of me and my school friends. We used to play around different, like, <laughs> school parties and primary schools and, and uh, pubs and stuff. Did, was that original music or was it mostly covers? We played some originals. Oh, wow. Yeah, we had a few originals, but um, yeah, mostly covers. What, what did it sound like, the originals? Um, the originals, I mean, well, I was in a few different kind of bands. So there was one, like, sort of indie emo band that I was in. <laughs> Another one where we were, like, trying to do, like, yeah, jazz, funk, fusion. <laughs> and I that's cool, drum, though, at 11. Like, I feel like that's kind of uncommon. Yeah, I mean, I went to a kind of special school that was, like, more, like, arts and music-focused. So mm -hmm. everyone that went to, well, not everyone, but a lot of people that went to the school came from, like, musical families. And, oh, wow. Yeah, it was really, I was lucky to go there, for sure. So you really wanted to go to music school? Were your parents kind of pushing you to go to it? Yeah, they were pushing me to take lessons and stuff. They never really pushed me to go to music school, per se. They just mm -hmm. sort of put me in that environment and yeah. hope for the best. <laughs> I guess it, they weren't really worried if you were doing like arts for your career. Right. I mean, they would have preferred I was doing something art artistic, sure, but they didn't really push me in that direction. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess they weren't like afraid of you potentially having like an unstable career then because they're used to it right <laughs> yeah i yeah i'm pretty sure they they meant for me to be a struggling artist <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and i guess that took up a lot of your time right just with all the band stuff mm -hmm. yeah were uh, you into school though I, I did all right but i didn't finish high school <laughs> oh you yeah. just decided to quit it or yeah I mean by the end of high school I had started my music career like DJing around Europe and stuff so I didn't really feel the need to pay attention too much 
And you got more into music because what DJ Pied Piper came into your school. Yeah, yeah, he was friends with one of the music teachers at my school, and um, yeah, he came in and with his decks and some garage and drum and bass records and mm -hmm. taught the class how to mix. And <laughs> how old were you at that point? That was probably I was twelve. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so early in the UK. <laughs> yeah, we start earlier and everything in the UK. <laughs> Drugs, music. <laughs> Who, how did you find like electronic music before that? Like how old were you? Were you like eight already finding EDM? Or? Mm -hmm. Well, that, when I was eight, I was listening to this Canadian uh, TV music channel called Much Music, which mm -hmm. at the time had this like, I think it was on Saturdays. It was a show where they would just play cl club music and yeah, much music in general was like really supportive of club music back in the day and mm -hmm. that's how I saw it in my basement. Yeah. As a, <laughs> and what, what were you using back then to produce? Um, well, I started when I was like 12 and I started on a early version of Logic. Oh, okay. Yeah, Logic 5 for PC. <laughs> And uh, then I went to Free Loops and Ableton eventually. But did, did people around you, like your friends, produce? Um, I was the only one that was really interested in production oh, at, wow. at start. Because back then, everyone was still into bands and, you know, everyone was learning how to play guitar or an instrument. And, but nobody was really learning how to produce. Mm -hmm. So I was like one of the only kids that really got into it. And were you on some like online forums talking to people, or how did you like? Yeah. Yeah, I was on a bunch of different like the forums. laid back Luke's, or what? Um, which ones was I on? I was on like trance at like I was you know big into trance when I started, so like trance addict, um, at the Anjuna Beats forums, mm -hmm. a drum and bass arena, yeah, dogs on acid that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Wow. So just like kind of meeting people through the internet, like internet friends. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There was this one website that me and a few other people started on that doesn't exist anymore called internetdj.com. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, it was that. <laughs> it was exactly how it sounded. <laughs> but it was cool. Like, anyone could just upload their music. It was like a SoundCloud before SoundCloud. Mm -hmm. How else were you, like, uploading or publishing your music back then? Like, was this during MySpace or...? Yeah, exactly. I put stuff on MySpace or... yeah. And how did you get in contact with Anjuna Beats? Um, well, before that, I had a release on Armada, a few releases on Armada, and I had their attention, I guess. So I oh, sent, wow. sent them some stuff, and mm -hmm. they really liked it. How old were you when the Armada accepted your stuff? Uh, I think I was like 17. Wow. So I guess you just figured out everything on your own. Yeah. Wow. Pretty much. And it was it because of the releases on those labels that you were able to tour Europe? Yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have had that experience. And then coming here, it's like a whole different world. Like, mm -hmm. Not many people have gotten to travel around Europe, so mm -hmm. I feel really lucky. Was it difficult early on for people to take you seriously when you were touring all over Europe? Well, back then, it wasn't as common for a DJ to be under the age of 30. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, w it was tough. But, um, yeah, I didn't really feel like I wasn't being taken seriously at the time. Mm -hmm. I just felt like, you know, what an amazing opportunity I, yeah. I, I'm having.
Was it, yeah, was it easy to transition into touring, like at that age? Were you already, like, really used to the nightlife? I mean, yeah, at start it was a lot easier because I was more active going out and, yeah, I just had more energy because I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> what did your parents think of you touring at such a young age? Were they scared um, of, like, bad influences? <laughs> I don't think they were scared, but there was this one time where I had a gig, I think it was in Bratislava, um, and I had to get a lift to the airport, and I hadn't done the dishes or something. <laughs> My dad wouldn't give me a lift to the airport, so I missed the show. <laughs> so, yeah, it was very much like <laughs> I was still a teenager. And how did you meet Porter Robinson? Uh, he got me... Uh, to play on his tour. Well, actually, before that, he got me to open for him at a show at Shrine um, back in like 2011 or 2012. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and then he brought me on tour in 2012 on the language tour. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, he had a studio set up in the back and we started oh, easy. Oh, that's and, cool. Yeah. How about with Kill the Noise? Kill the Noise, I met shortly after that, I guess. We played a show together in, uh, I think it was St. Louis. And we had a been going back and forth on Twitter and stuff. Like we seemed like we had a common mindset, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, when we met, we sort of just clicked and started making tunes together. And were you still living in the UK at this time, or? Uh, no, I had just moved. To oh. Kovina at the time. Oh, how old were you when you moved here? Uh, like 21, 22. Oh. Do a lot of people ask you why you don't have a British accent? Yeah, and that's because <laughs> I was raised in Cleveland, and, and when I came back raised here... Raised where? In Cleveland. Oh, Ohio. you were? Yeah. Yeah, because my mom's American, her grandparents lived in Cleveland, so when she and my, mom, my dad separated, my mom moved to Cleveland, took me and my brothers. Oh. Yeah. Wait, so how old were you? One. <laughs> oh, so you like barely lived in the UK. <laughs> yeah, but then I moved back when I was 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 11. It's hard to explain to people why. Because <laughs> I am, I do feel British, but American is my mother tongue. Because <laughs> so, I was raised in Cleveland. Yeah, when I first went to the UK, everyone said I was American. Then I lived there for 10 years, came back here, and everyone thought I was British. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my accent completely flip-flop back and forth. <laughs> and it was early on that you found uh, Noisia, right? Yeah, I was a fan of Noisia from the very beginning, from like 2006, um, when I heard their uh, record Facade on mm -hmm. Ram. I was like, holy... I w at the time, it was like so much more advanced than anything else I'd have ever heard in electronic music production. Mm -hmm. Besides, like, maybe pendulum <laughs> but this this was different it was like you know dark and interesting and yeah yeah know. so i've been the noisier fan ever since mm -hmm. and it was it them that like dawned on you that they i mean do they ghost produce or the how it like everything unfolded but they were kind of one of the catalysts right um no i wouldn't say they were i mean i i had known about ghost producing for a long time because in, in trance world it's so common couldn't escape it like everyone that seemed was, wasn't making their own tunes and I feel like it's changed a little bit now where yeah and like certain uh, sub genres that's still prevalent but mm -hmm. generally I think people that make their own music are getting put on a higher platform now so mm -hmm. yeah I used to have a 
a chip on my shoulder about that, but I don't anymore. <laughs> and how about when you realize that like artists were paying for headlining slots? Yeah, I mean, it's just an inevitability, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. like where, where there's money to be made, there's always going to be people who are happy to oblige and cut a deal. And yeah. Mm -hmm. you know. uh, yeah. And what were you saying, like, in previous interviews about um, getting caught by record labels early on? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I was a kid and I didn't read contracts. I don't know if you could call it conning or me just being a dumb <laughs> kid. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Like, getting tied into four option deals with no advance and, like, yeah. It happens to a lot of people, I think. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you don't go through it in your early years, you go through it in yeah. your later years, and that's worse. Mm -hmm. Actually, for people who want to be producers now, what kind of advice would you give them, like, seeing what you went through? Well, always read your contract or get someone that you trust that knows what they're doing to read the contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't just sign things just because it's the first thing that comes to you. Yeah. Did you not have managers? No. Whoa, so all when you were touring Europe all yourself, you were arranging everything yeah. directly? That's yeah. so impressive at such a when young I, age. Yeah, but I mean, without the booking agent and without the tour managers, it's actually kind of easier doing it by yourself because you just, the promoter hits you up directly, says, hey, do you want to do a show, blah, 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 how, for how much? say yes and they just send you travel details <laughs> and that's, it's it was so much simpler back then <laughs> and then when did you realize that you wanted to have a manager um i think having a manager was sort of not imposed on me but sort of just i fell into it really how um, i bet time, people were like probably hitting you up since the onset right to manage you actually no Really? For, for, Maybe no, it's different were. back then. It was back, different back then. You know, the EDM thing hadn't taken off. The people didn't really see a huge market yet. But um, yeah, that changed mm -hmm. very quickly. It's I think it's in two, 2011 I got, or 2010, I oh. got uh, a manager slash agent mm -hmm. who was um, sort of affiliated with Angina Beats. Oh. It was like the beginnings of involved management, which is and Junibeat's management company now. Mm -hmm. And were so. they like helping you, like reading your contracts, like, why did you sign all this? <laughs> yeah, by that point I had been done with all the crappy oh. contracts, luckily. But no, they just, you know, they did everything that I was doing myself, but yeah, so I didn't have to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And do you think it's really improved everything, like having a manager or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, mm -hmm. nowadays I couldn't survive too long without a manager. I mean, for a long time I couldn't survive without a tour manager, but nowadays I go to shows by myself and do it fine, but... Yeah. Yeah, when, the more, I feel like the more you add to your team and, you know, you, the more you rely on them, yeah, you, you just end up relying on them completely and <laughs> you become very dependent. That must have been a big jump though to like have a touring manager for so long then realize one day that you can just do everything yourself. Yeah, well, after a while, doing, when you're doing like more than one show a weekend, yeah, it's really nice to have someone with you. <laughs> Just 
yeah, mm-hmm. thinking about all the stuff that you have to so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And looking back, do you regret your Twitter rant or you're like, that was something that I learned back then? <laughs> I don't know if I regret it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I w- definitely wouldn't do it now. I am who I am. <laughs> At the time, that's how, what I felt like doing, and mm-hmm. you know, no regrets. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get more backlash from it, like outside of people responding, like people in the industry? Yeah, not, not to my face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I felt it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like so damaging that. I couldn't survive anymore. That I had to compromise anything for my for my career. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything else just seemed to carry on as normal. <laughs> Have you bumped into all the people that you called out since? <laughs> no, but I did talk to Armin uh, recently. Yeah. Just recently. Like, yeah, just. <laughs> the tweets were like 2015. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like for how many years? Exactly. So. What did he say? Yeah, oh, we're just clearing it. the air, you know. Like, yeah. I was angry and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I haven't. I haven't caught up with any of the others. Mm-hmm. And what inspired you to have your own record label? Um, well, originally it was just to because I was impatient. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get records out faster, and then eventually, um, Swarty from the M Machine came up to me after one of my shows and started convincing me that he has this album that he should put out on my label and turn the label into something more. So I got convinced and he, we did that and it turned out to go really well. So yeah, it mm. all started from there. Do you have a whole team for your record label? How, how does it work now? Mm-hmm. I've got one guy helping me called Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah, but it's just us two. Yeah. There was three people at one time, but it's too much for such a small label. Mm-hmm. And from the onset, were you, was it difficult, like, starting it from the onset, you need so much, like, finding, like, finding all these people, like, submitting music and also the cover art and just the whole, like, profession, yeah, professional. Yeah, like finding your people is the sort of task when you're first starting a record label. Yeah. You know, you're, the graphic artists you like to work with. That's always been changing ever since we started, but yeah, it's been, it was tough at the beginning, mm-hmm. for sure, finding all those people. Did you have someone that you could talk to for advice to start a record label? Yeah, I mean, I had a bunch of friends, and, yeah, but I, I, didn't, I don't have like one particular guru, label guru <laughs> that I go to. Mm-hmm. And has it been difficult juggling both? Yeah, I'd say so. I, I've definitely noticed like having a label and putting time and effort into other people's releases definitely detracts from your own career. Mm-hmm. But I love it. Yeah. I wouldn't trade it for anything because just knowing that I'm giving some kid who might have never been heard by anybody just the chance to be heard mm-hmm. is amazing. And you also um, have a group chat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When did that start? Uh, like three years ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was just the easiest thing we could have done to give our artists a place to talk to each other, I guess. And has it been interesting, like being a mentor to all these people? Yeah, I don't really see myself as a mentor. I just see it as like I'm creating a community of artists around me. And I'm learning more from them, if anything. <laughs> it's not a one-way, like, 
yeah, I'm not the teacher in this scenario. Uh, <laughs> I'm also a student. You said in a previous interview that the album you put in 2016 would be your last album, or last album for a while. Yeah, it's definitely been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like three years. Um, yeah, I've got an album project coming up, but it's not it's not just me. Oh, nice. <laughs> I can't really talk too much about it, but yeah, there should be an album next year. But it's, yeah, it's not a Matzo album. But I have been working on it. <laughs> what did it take you so long? <laughs> um, well, I'll, just working with other people, you know. Mm. We're both busy and, yeah. But you didn't want to put out, I mean, like your own album since 2016? I've like started a few ideas for albums that just turned into, I ended up separating them out into single releases. Oh. Just, yeah, I, I don't know, like, I have to really have it in me to make an album. Like, I have to really have an idea and a theme and, yeah, that hasn't really come to me. Mm -hmm. You mean like but, not much inspiration recently or? Well, I've been putting so much into this other album project, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's been taking up all my inspiration <laughs> creativity. What's the inspiration behind Motivate? Um, it's so good, by the way. <laughs> thank you. That started with um, that synth thing that goes... Dun, dun, dun. It's just me messing around with a new free synth I'd bought. Oh, I'd not bought, nice. Downloaded, and then I threw that vocal on. Mm -hmm. The tune sort of wrote itself. And do you have a, you said you, in a previous interview, you have the Daft Punk helmet. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, is he the stage manager? One of the stage managers that always does the Anjuna uh, Beats shows gave it to me before he was ever involved in the music industry. He was actually following the language tour as oh. a fan. And he exchanged that for me, that helmet, for I think it was Tomorrowland. No <laughs> way! That's so crazy. And have you always been into drawing? Yeah. Well, my dad being an artist, uh, mm -hmm. sort of made he taught all his kids how to draw. Well, what what do your drawings look like? Or what, um, do you, what do you draw? What do you draw about? I know how to say. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've learned like classical drawing, so it's oh wow. Like, my dad was like a big Rembrandt Vermeer fan boy. <laughs> Damn. So, uh, yeah, he taught me how to draw like that, I guess. So that's what, that's what you, that's what you draw like day to day. Uh, yeah, if I if I draw, that's. <laughs> usually how I draw. Do you put it up your drawings? Yeah, I've got um, an art station account. I put all my drawings up on. Mm -hmm. And you sometimes Instagram. Yeah. Do you think you'll do um, some like galleries or exhibitions? Why not? Uh, drawing art for me is just a hobby, and sometimes I'll do some album artwork, but I'm not gonna try and be in that world. <laughs> the art world is even more poisonous, I guess, than <laughs> the music. Really? Yeah. yeah. Or I guess to like link it with some releases. Yeah. I know like Drulu does something similar, but I mean there there's this more like graphic design. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah, think I guess me really how cool. does like. Yeah. Art stuff alongside. Yeah, I could, I, sh I should, I should do that. <laughs> but I don't want to, I don't want to take art too seriously, that's the thing. I just want to be able to do it for fun when I feel like it and not have a deadline and have a, like, yeah. It's mm -hmm. just something I do when I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. 
This is something that us, like, people have been in, like, EDM for so long, but is it difficult to, like, stay relevant at times, or, like, there's so many trends to keep up with? Yeah, I just, I, I decided to stop trying to stay relevant, mm -hmm. I think. Um, you know, if I'm irrelevant right now, so what? You know, at least I'll, I'm still making the music I want to make. Mm. So, yeah, obviously I want to stay relevant just so I can stay living in my house. <laughs> but... <laughs> In terms of like, do I want to be constantly like collabing with the hot newest artists and like, you know, doing, playing that whole game? Eh, I'm not really fussed. How about with all the like trends like going through mm -hmm. so quickly? I feel like you've kind of like stayed true. Yeah, I mean, I, I have tried new stuff like when the whole trap thing took off in like 2012, 2013, yeah. I was definitely trying to make some stuff like that. I'm not gonna be closed off to the new things that are happening in music, I guess. But um, I'm also not gonna be like chasing every new thing that comes along that seems popular. Mm-hmm, yeah. How would you say your music has changed compared to the early, early songs you've made? Uh, well, the early songs I made, I. Maybe they were better musically, but less well produced, like, mm -hmm. technically. Like, I do look back on some of the music I made, and, yeah, I, I was pretty good at writing music, but I couldn't mix or master for shit. So now it's, like, the opposite, like, I, I'm more intentional about the music I make, which is kind of a bad thing. Like, mm -hmm. I, when I was more, like, uh, just in a trance, sort of channeling music. I don't know, I just sort of was more free with it. Do you think no. you have more pressure now? Is that why? Not more pressure. It's just, I I just think more when I'm writing music instead of feeling. Hmm. So I think that ends up being apparent in the music. And how about the style? The, fir the stuff that I was making when I first started was completely different. Uh, a lot more happy and uplifting and nowadays I like I tend to favor more dark and sinister. Is there a reason why? <laughs> uh, I guess because the happy like clean fun thing is everyone else is doing that <laughs> popular electronic music so I, I guess I just veer more towards stuff that I don't think other people are doing. Bodies have been the biggest challenges in your life so far. I mean, I was I was diagnosed as bipolar a few years ago. Oh, That's really? been a fucking big challenge. Um, um, yeah. So, well, how did you like realize, or um, was it something your parents kind of talked to you better than you? No, I I sort of found out the hard way. <laughs> I got admitted to a hospital, and they told me. So that's been tough. Uh, yeah, I, it's been tough. Wondering if it's just the fucked up system telling me how I am, and I'm. And I should rebel against that, or you know, should I, you know, not and just take the medication mm. <laughs> they like prescribe? Yeah. What kind of advice do you have for people who are bipolar as well? Oh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Every every that's the thing is like every bipolar case is different. And some people are more manic have more manic tendencies and some people, you know, it's like a, a spectrum. Um, I'd say I'm pretty low on the spectrum. Like, 
-hmm. It's tough. Know that you're not alone, but that doesn't really help. What does love mean to you? It's like a, a calmness. It's like a, mm. a lack of any stress or... That's a fucking big question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely not the opposite of hate, because mm. I think love and hate are very much linked. You know, you the saying that you end up hurting the people that you love most. I yeah. Think that rings true. Yeah, it's so true. Last question, what do you want to be remembered for? <laughs> Definitely not for going on a Twitter rant. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> yeah, I just want to be remembered for being a good producer and curator and DJ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love this. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Bye.
a lot of sticky ones and you know when you're our age Josh is 31 I'm 28 we're not like kids you know so when you've been like in a few management situations or a few label situations or anything like that and they haven't gone the way you initially planned meeting someone like Rossi seems a bit too good to be true mm. you know and like the whole disciple crew all these videos you were like right they all look like real posy and everyone's real happy but is it like that and and that was kind of our initial like concern or at least it was mine um, and yeah no it really is like there is a great great vibe and being a small label in a small kind of genre it's like it's easy to maintain that really good vibe yeah and that's what it is really it's just a really good family vibe and everyone looks out for everyone there's no bitchiness like everyone's supporting mm. everyone's music someone has a release and it's bumped on everyone's pages and that's great yeah and it's not a it's not a guy in the office doing it it's us you know mm -hmm. i think that that is something that will always kind of make people like me and josh you know want to like gravitate towards that it's just like sweet man Mm -hmm. actual real people being really nice to each other and it's refreshing it's yeah. like you want to make music and send it to someone who you flip and respect and have them get right back to you and like you know send send their shit and like you know it's just really nice nothing's contrived or fake it's just it's real it's, it's like it's rare it's a unique thing that they've got and they've worked like five years to get that yeah so, yeah big up disciple crew does it feel a bit different because you've been in like bands and doing drums your whole life and now maybe you categorize under more of like a EDM producer or...? Uh, no, not, not particularly. So I'm um, yeah. like, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't champion my production skills. I suck. I'm pretty deaf. You mm -hmm. know? Um, I've, I've done like thousands of shows in my life. Um, I wouldn't... I think I did a hearing test recently and I struggled to hear over 10.5k. So oh my gosh. I'm like... I'm sure I'm, I'm I'm heading for a hearing aid before I'm like 35, so I wouldn't like jump in the producer seat and want to make a banger straight away. But like in in terms of like songwriting, I still enjoy like putting together a, a, a piece of work. That being said, Josh has worked on everything in the last two EPs, mm -hmm. the one that we just dropped, Echoes, and this new one. He's basically just been whipping them up, yeah. fucking quick. Like I think he did this last one in one week, <laughs> but like. The, the, the bulk of the work, I, like, you know, in one day, I'm pretty sure he sent me over two almost finished songs kind of from that EP that are both on the EP. So he's kind of on fire at the moment. Um, as far as, like, my contribution, like, so I've got a sample pack coming out with Virtual Riot mm -hmm. um, for, like, just, just drums, like, yeah. exclusively, like, rhythm and dubstep drums. It's got a cool name, um, and I'm going to put it all on, like, line very soon. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure when this is going to go out, but if it's sometime soon, it'll probably be dropping at the same sort of time. So yeah, um, yeah. In the next month anyway. Mm -hmm. So that'll be all. That'll be all available for everyone to sort of uh, grab off uh, off the internet when it's all dropped. There'll be a link to everything, and yeah, hopefully uh, everyone starts using my shit and yeah. their songs because that's kind of what I like. You know, I, I, I like. I think drums are such a massive part of dubstep or any EDM genre for that matter, or any genre of music. So like, if I can make as many six sample packs as I can make for different like things, like a future bass one with future bass fills and you know drum and bass ones with drum and bass breaks and just keep doing that, that's kind of my contribution. That's where I want to aim to be in the next few years is just like keeping Josh laced with like drum pack, uh, you know, drum samples and stuff that he can use in, in, in the music mm -hmm. he makes. Because it kind of makes everyone's life easier when there's real good stuff to just drag and drop, you know? That's kind of the, the new the new way of making tunes. I mm -hmm. think if you're sat there like programming all day long, it kind of gets super boring when you're trying to put down an idea. So that's yeah. kind of, that's my thing. I want to mm -hmm. get like new and creative drum loops in the mix and make dubstep a bit more 
dynamic and fun and live and real. That's my aim. That's my goal. Yeah. Yep. Day to day, if he's doing more of the producing, are you more? Of, do you do more of the the live like live performance, like getting into that, or day to day? How do your roles so, uh, differ? So we like well, we do shows together. Yeah. We prepare for shows together, so that side of it's kind of uh, kind of normal. It's mm -hmm. more just like Josh will have a lot of times in the diary when we're not touring. There's no shows, and it might be like two weeks, or even like five days in between shows, and it'll just be like block booked out with like. EP production so he'll know exactly how long he has and the deadline will be in that month at some point and he'll just have maybe like two block book weeks to work on it mm -hmm. and that's kind of how that works now normally we used to write as you know when we were four people there'd be four people in a room but like I said Josh is uh since he's been like in LA since we moved over here I think just hanging around hanging around with a whole bunch of people on Disciple it's like they almost treat music production like a game it's 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 like you know like let me see your new ids like you know and people go go home and whip up two or three new ones it's um it's just like the, the speed at which people are making like really sick playable music has just gone tenfold in the last few years so now that josh is kind of like on that it's yeah it's like you know if you, if you blink you might miss a tune Mm -hmm. um, I know we made a drum and bass one last night. I saw him tweet about it. So, <laughs> you know, but that's mm -hmm. that's the nature of it. When when inspira inspiration is 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 kind of striking, you got to go with it. What does success mean to Modestep? Oh, that's a very difficult question. To be honest, I'm, I'm I'm fairly certain we can consider ourselves successful. The amount of stuff we've come kind of come through, mm -hmm. um, and we're still an act. You know, it's been almost ten years for for Josh um, and six for me. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I'd say, I'd say what is success? Will you ever know if you're killing it at the time? Probably, probably not. You'll probably look back after six months or a year and be like, holy fuck, man, that summer festival season killed it. But, yeah. you know, you won't know until you're on your headlining dates playing to, you know, an, an eighth of that many people. You won't know until, you know, you feel it. You know, there's certain sobering things in, in, in the music industry that will kind of make you feel like unsuccessful and there's ones that will make you feel like you're a king, so. Mm -hmm. You just gotta fake the rough with this move. Yeah, we have. I'd say we're successful. Yeah. Right? And, and like stupidly lucky to be able to do it. Dubstep took a dip, and like our own country, where where it's from, wouldn't play it on the radio. You know, it, it was getting no love. So, for for Josh to have kind of kept playing dubstep, even in all of that climate, mm. you know, he, you know, when you could have been playing house and other things. You know, and I'm not naming names, I'm not chatting shit, I'm just saying, like, there's a certain amount to be said for acts that don't, you know, stray too far from the path of the cause. So, like, I always say the same band comes back to them every time, but Iron Maiden have done the same record for, like, 35 years. It's always the same branding, it's the same type of tunes, it's, it's like, that's why they're, they're still relevant, and they're still big today, and still selling sh shows out, because... You know, they've given their fan base exactly what they want. So once you have a fan base, which most of have, it's really important to not alienate them or push them away and give them stuff that they, they don't want or, or, or are interested in. You know, yeah. you, you know, but at the same time, it's playing to like the people that make you a band. You've got to keep yourself happy and mm -hmm. fulfilled. So it's, it's a balance. Yeah, it's a I love balance. this. Yeah, thank you so much. No worries, no worries. <laughs> Bye.